Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to The Journey. Welcome to Journey Queens. Thank you for joining us in this last September Sunday that we have here. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at The Journey, and uh, I'm so excited that you joined us today. Uh, Today, we are wrapping up a series we started called Closer, taking a look how to draw closer to God. And we've been taking a look at some biblical examples. Uh, We took a look at David drawing closer to God through prayer. We took a look at Moses drawing closer to the Lord through community. Uh, And then uh, we also took the very first week. uh, I'm actually blanking on what we talked about. Somebody shout it out, the very first week of Closer. Anybody remember? David, Moses, Abraham, thanks. I knew there was one more founding father I was forgetting. The first week was Abraham, uh, talking about how he drew closer to God through faith. And today, we're going to wrap up this series taking a look at how Jesus drew closer to God through sacrifice or through his surrender. I think surrender is a more common word uh, that we use today that kind of conveys some of the same meaning uh, as we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but I think surrender also sounds, in, in my mind, like the word committed. Uh, and I know that sounds interesting, but when you commit to something, you're, you're giving what you have to it. Right? When you accept a job, you're, you're jumping in, you're committing to that role, you're, you're surrendering what you may want to do elsewhere to work for this company. Uh, it's, it works the same in relationships. Uh, tomorrow is actually my wife and I's second anniversary. Uh, we're still in, thank you so much, we're still in the newlyweds phase. Uh, but I remember when we were first starting to date, Uh, We had, uh, like any good relationship, that very beginning part where you're trying to decide, is this something I want to go for? Is it something I don't? Uh, and, And it's kind of the difference between being involved and being committed, right? So when we first started dating, we were kind of in that involved beginning stage where the boundaries were a little loose as far as were we officially a couple or not. Uh, what, what did that look like? We were just kind of involved. And, and I remember one time, uh, right in the beginning of that, as we were going to hang out with a big group of friends of ours, uh, we were all going to meet at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn uh, to take a train out to the beach. And she and my wife, Katie, uh, we weren't dating at the time, asked me if I could show up a little early, like 15, 20 minutes just to chat. And I was like, okay, cool. Maybe we're talking about something moving forward. I, I was still very much on the fence about it. And in this conversation, my wife just laid out to me crystal clear, uh, this is over if it stays involved and not committed. Uh, We've been in this involved stage for way too long, and I need to move into some commitment here. Uh, And and considering I'm referring to her as my wife, you can guess how that worked out. Uh, But we, we did, we had to talk about what was the difference for us between being involved in this relationship and being committed 
in this relationship. And it turns out that there is a big difference. Marriage is a commitment that you make to a person for the rest of your life, to the end of your days. My dad and mom are going on 40 years, and he sometimes jokes that he didn't know he was setting a goal when he said, till death do us part. He, he sometimes marriage strains on you, uh, but it is a commitment. And I think in our relationship with God, in our relationship with Jesus, we find this same dynamic play out. I think a lot of us love to be involved with Jesus. We love to be involved in the Christian game sometimes, right? We love to be on the forefront of loving our enemies. We love to be on the forefront of, of you know, not coming against those who come against you and, and any other cause that we may see in Jesus and in his moving and movement and in the faith of Christianity. But we, sit, we tend to stay involved. Whereas when we come to the point of committing, we begin to see God move in a different way. I think the difference between being involved and being committed, uh, there's an old tale that I think hashes it out pretty well. It says that there were a chicken and a pig they were walking down the street and they passed a grocery store and the grocery store said needed ham and eggs and they stopped and the chicken looked at the sign and he looked at the pig and he's like well let's go help out and the pig stopped for a second he was like nah I'll be committed you'll just be involved right for the for the chicken the chicken got to lay eggs and walk away from that but for the ham that's involved for the pig there was a level of commitment. He would have had some skin in the game, uh, to, so to say. And so that commitment, you can see, kind of takes another level. When we were talking a, a few weeks ago about uh, David drawing closer to God through prayer, we talked about how he became the king of Israel uh, after Saul Israel's very first king was rejected by God, that he walked away from the Lord. He was not following God's directive anymore. And so God rejected him as king. But what we didn't talk about was what he did, what he was doing in, in not following God. And you see, when Saul became king, right away he began taking over some of the, the territory that was right near Israel at the time, and he began expanding Israel's te territory. Well, they came up to this group called the Amalekites who had given them trouble for all of Israel's existence. And God's directive to King Saul was clear. Just destroy everything. I can provide what you, you need, but for this, this time, this war, destroy what you see. And, and as we see here in, in uh, the beginning of that in 1 Samuel 15, Saul decides, uh, verse 9, but Saul and the army spared Agog, which was the king, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These, were, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And now I don't know about you, but there's a part of me that I'm like, I don't see what they did wrong, right? They, they took over this land and they kept the things that were good. The sheep, you know, some of the, the, the good uh, resources that that land had to provide. 
And so at first you may think, I, I don't quite understand exactly what's the issue here. But the ultimate issue comes about when we consider that God gave a directive and Saul chose his own. See, God gave instruction on what the nation of Israel was to do. And as the king of Israel, he decided his way would be better than the way that God was wanting to direct them. And so in stepping out of this this guidance and this directive, he took himself out of God's will. He took himself out of what God was wanting to do in the nation of Israel. And then I think if you jump a few thousand years forward to the example that Jesus set. See, when we talk about drawing closer to the Lord through sacrifice, through surrender, I don't think we have a better example in scripture than Jesus himself. John chapter five, Jesus is speaking to those he's around and he says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, he also, the son, does. So we see this difference in heart, this difference in heart between the king, Saul, who ended up being rejected by God, and Jesus, who accepted this mission from God to come down to humanity, to live life in human form, though being God, and submitting himself, sacrificing his will, his way of living, and submitting himself to the plan that God had laid out for him. And church, what I want you to see through this as we're going to take a look at some of these examples that Jesus gives us is the heart difference between King Saul and Jesus. So the, the way of saying, I think I know what's right, especially when it looks right to pretty much everyone around me, but I think God's saying it's not, but I'm still going to go my way, versus Jesus's heart that says, I'm doing nothing unless God is there. I am saying nothing. I'm passing no judgment unless God is there because I am submitted to his way and to his will. We're going to pick up in John chapter, or sorry, Mark chapter 6 today. Uh, We're going to start in verse 30. I have a bunch of scripture to read. It'll pop up on the screen and then we'll kind of go back through it. But what the, the setting of this scene is Jesus is with his disciples. He has just got done uh, previously sending them out into the towns to proclaim the good news, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to proclaim healing and favor. Uh, The disciples were going throughout the towns. They were freeing those oppressed by demons. They were healing those that were sick and in need of healing. And they were just at this point where we're picking up coming back to Jesus and telling him about that uh, experience that they had. In addition to this, as we know when we cross-reference with the book of Matthew, we're also told at this time that John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, was just killed. Uh, the, the king at the time had actually beheaded him uh, in a favor to one of his wives. Uh, and this news has just reached Jesus, as, as the Gospels tend to tell us, that it is just reaching Jesus as his disciples are coming back. And we're picking up this story in verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus 
and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So these disciples had just been out preaching and healing and driving out demons so much so that some of them didn't even have a chance to rest and eat. So God, Jesus is saying, let's go get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving, recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So I want to pause right here to just reaffirm this scene. Jesus has just got the devastating, heartbreaking news that his cousin was killed in an act that was just so random, so unneeded, unjustified. And his disciples have just come back and are exhausted. And so it, it almost seems like Jesus is like, okay, I need, a, I need a pause here. Let's go to a desolate place. Let's get some food. Let's rest. But then as they get in this boat to go to this desolate place, the crowds have heard about Jesus and his disciples and what they're doing. And they come from all the different villages and they run around this body of water and they meet where the, the disciples and Jesus are landing. And despite this point, that Jesus is at of being completely heartbroken over this news he received, despite the point that these disciples are at of being tired and weary from their travels, we're told that Jesus had compassion on the crowd and that he began to heal those who were sick and he began to teach because Jesus was surrendered to the will of the Father. Jesus knew he had come to set the captives free, to, to let the blind see, to let those who couldn't hear, hear, and to heal the sick. And so as he saw the crowds, he began to put his own will, his own thoughts of let me just get away, let me just rest. And he put them on pause. He said, God, I, I see what you're doing here, and I want to be a part of it. We pick up in, in verse 35. It says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a very remote place. And they said, it's already very late. Let's send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered, well, you give them something to eat. Okay, Jesus, that's, uh, we didn't think of the food ahead of time. Thanks for just pointing that out. And they said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages to feed this crowd. Are we going to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, this crowd, as we'll see in a minute, it's mentioned was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So this crowd is believed to be upwards of 10,000 people. It's a lot of bread. <laughs> Verse 38, how many loaves do you see? He asked, go and see. Or how many loaves do you have, he asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Verse 39, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to, the looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute 
to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full, basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So this scene concludes, or continues, I should say, with Jesus and his disciples in this, this remote place, completely spent and exhausted, but submitting to what God has placed before them, submitting to this situation, this circumstance that they didn't control. They didn't ask crowds to come. They didn't go to the place with a crowd. This crowd came to them. This circumstance, this trial, this, this spending of energy came to them. And what we see is that when they step out in faith, when they surrender to where God has brought them, we see a miracle take place. We see a crowd of over 10,000 people that was fed with a simple five loaves of bread and two fish. See, because when we decide to surrender, we begin to see God's power. Church, the more you are surrendered to God, the more power of his that you see in your life. Let's continue in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida. And I want to highlight that word immediately there. We'll come back. While he dismissed the crowd, verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. See, the, the, the focus of this story all of a sudden shifts to the disciples. This incredible miracle has taken place. These thousands of people are, have been fed. The moment is over. And look at how this is spelled out for us in verse 45. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and he sent them on ahead of them. And now if we're taking this from the perspective of the disciples, they have just been sent out by Jesus again, right? They have been sent into the boat to go out onto this, this lake at night. And then we see here that as Jesus goes up and spends some time praying it says that he saw the disciples. Verse 48, it says he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he came walking out to the lake, on the lake to them. You see, in other translations, this is actually described that it was in the fourth watch of the night. And now in, in biblical times, the night was broken up into four different quarters. It was broken up in three-hour chunks, starting at 6 p.m. 
So the first watch of the night was 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3 a.m., and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. was the fourth watch of the night. So Jesus had sent these disciples out into the lake, and they were rowing all night. This is between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning that Jesus comes out on the water to them. And I want to just take a moment and ask you to just think of what your mind would be saying to you right now if you were one of the disciples. You were just sent out on a boat by Jesus onto this lake and you encountered such rough weather that you've been rowing all night and you were still only far enough that Jesus could still see you. The frustration, the, the confusion. I thought Jesus wanted good for me. I, I thought he was here to help me. I thought he knew what was best for me. Why would he send me out on this lake? If Jesus is just up there praying, why is he just watching me struggle? But it says that in the fourth watch of the night, which today we often call the 11th hour, Jesus came out to them. That he did not fail to be there for them. You see, because the disciples made the decision to surrender to Jesus. They made a decision to follow him with their lives, to step into surrender. And what they continued to see after this miraculous feeding of thousands of people was another miracle. Was Jesus walking on this lake to them? The distance that it took them all night to row, Jesus was able to walk across that sea while it was still crazy. And the second he stepped into that boat, the wind began to die down. And church, I don't know if your brain and if your spirit is beginning to buzz right now. And if God is beginning to poke in your heart different areas of your life where he's calling you to step in and trust where he's calling you to surrender, where he's calling you to step out in faith. Jesus, it says, sent the disciples onto that boat, onto that lake. And church, I'm going to tell you right now, you may have, if you've walked with God long enough, found time where you were questioning what God is doing because it's not working out the way you thought and the way it seems like the Bible says. And God's presence is supposed to be always near me. So where is it? Why do I not feel it? And church, my encouragement to you is that he does not let that night pass before he steps into the boat. When we become fully surrendered to him, when we begin to trust God with every part of our lives, from our career to our families, our relationships, to our own personal heart, and our desires, the things and our goals that, that we want to accomplish in life. God doesn't say to have none and have no family and have no ambition. But he says to surrender all of that to him. Jesus tells us elsewhere in the Gospels to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. That you will be taking care of your financial, your family, your personal that every part of you will be taking care of you if you what? Submit. Begin to submit to the kingdom of God. Begin to acknowledge that Jesus is doing something in your life. See, believing that Jesus exists is one step. 
We have to believe in the Son of God. We have to believe that God exists in order for him to see what he's doing in our life. Does that make sense? If we don't believe in him, we can't see the things that God is doing. But the second we do, you have now crossed over from death and only seeing the way of death into life, as Jesus says. You've crossed over into seeing the work of the Father, of God not hiding his hand from you of him not watching you struggle and letting you struggle forever, but rather him coming out to you. Him choosing the times in your life where you're struggling, those situations where you'd sit here and say, you know what, I didn't choose this. I took this job thinking it was something different. I got into this relationship thinking they were someone else. You know, I've been praying to God about this for a really long time, and it doesn't seem like anything has changed. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Jesus, I got in the boat, and now I have been struggling for hours and hours and hours, and it's the middle of the night, and I am tired. I don't want to do it anymore. And God says, right there, that, that is surrender. Surrender what you can't do and watch my power be made perfect. Church, the things that you were going through in your life, I, 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 I can't know them all. If you share, I would, but when you share. But right now I don't. But what I do know and the truth I believe is that you begin to see God's power more and more when you take the step of surrendering. You begin to draw closer to God as you lay it before him time and time and time again. And church, you may feel like you're in the fourth watch of the night with what you've been praying for. You may feel like there's, there's nothing left to hold on to. <laughs> that end of the rope is I'm, I'm holding it by two fingers here, God. I, I got to trust you see it. And he does. He does. He's watching you in the fourth night. And if you believe that Jesus will never leave you and will never forsake you, then you have to believe that he is working in that situation right now. You have to believe that he is not done with you. The Bible tells us that the work he's begun in you, which is the moment you believe, the moment you come to the point of saying, Jesus, I I get it, I see you, this is real, I know this is real, that moment, God begins a work that it says he will see to completion. Not you. You won't see it to completion because it's not your work. But it says that God will see it to completion. Church, that includes healing That includes peace when there isn't healing. That includes overcoming anger and jealousy, rage, lust, lies, fear. Whatever you feel in your life that God is working in you, that you can't understand why you're struggling with X, Y, and Z, continue to submit. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you and he is not done with you yet. He's not done with any of us. My encouragement to you is to submit. And what does that look like? It just looks like a simple moment to come before God. And if you're here right now and this is the first time that you're really hearing about Jesus, it's it's as easy as believing that he is real. It's as easy as saying, you know, this something is lining up right now. I, I sense that God is doing something right here. What I can promise he's doing is calling you into a relationship with him, 
And that relationship begins to flow when you submit. When you say, God, I, I've, I've run my life the way I've wanted to run it. And now I'm going to turn those keys over to you because I trust what you're going to bring my path. I trust the trials that you will let me through. I trust the times that you're going to send me out onto lake because I trust that it's for my good. And I trust that you won't leave me alone. And it's as simple as asking him to do that. And church, if you've been walking with Jesus and you're finding that stirring in your heart, he requires nothing else of you but to submit, to take that humility and to stand before him and lay it all down at his feet and to give him your trust, to give him your faith and to watch as he proves faithful with it. Watch as he begins to produce life in your life. Watch as he begins to take your five loaves and two fish and turn it into food for the thousands because it's not about us. See, God wants you to surrender, to walk you through your life, to build you up and encourage you so that you can in turn begin helping those around you, begin helping them see the love of Jesus. And so that love, like we talked about last week, can continue to spread, knowing that you are the reason he came to earth. Knowing that the, the, the tale of Jesus, the biblical story of Jesus is there because of the love that God has for you here in this theater today or joining us online today. That that was made possible by his submission. You see, as the gospel goes, Jesus not only stepped down into humanity, but he lived for love. He lived his life as a living sacrifice of love. And what God did with it, although it ended in a painful death to him, we see in Philippians, Paul says that. It says in, in Philippians chapter 2, that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, Jesus's obedience, his surrender to the will of the Father, led him through a perfect life, avoiding sin, but also led him to a very painful death. And that painful death See, when we look in Old Testament times, a sacrifice is required. Paul tells us that the wages, the, the, the payment of sin, of us having that sin is death. And you see, instead of us facing it for eternity, Jesus came and conquered death. He conquered sin by living this perfect and blameless life, by being crucified and by raising from the dead to show that nothing had mastery over him. To show that when we submit, we can follow in this example. We may die to ourselves. We may die to our plans. And it may cost us our, our ambitions sometimes. But church, I promise you, there is nothing sweeter than coming to a point of surrender and watching what God can do with your life. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you just laying before you everything that you've brought us today. 
God, laying before you this example that we see in Scripture of how your son submitted to you, submitted to your plan for his life. And God, I ask that you would do the same for us. God, I ask that you would grow us in faith, that we would believe beyond the shadow of a doubt. God, that you were guiding us to good things, that you were using all things for our good, that you don't fail us, and that you will come out to us on that lake, that you will step onto that boat. Father, we trust you with our lives, and we ask that you would continue to guide us in faith and in surrender. Would you show us the joy that comes in it? And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.